I was uh, never much of an English student, but one thing I did uh, learn, and I discover this as I read good papers, that great papers have good theme statements. And uh, the great papers are where the theme is put through and through the paper, through the book. Well, we've been looking at the book of Romans, and Paul's a great writer. And Paul's theme statement in Romans, if if you're just visiting, uh, we've been looking at this since August... Uh, his great theme statement is this, that, that men and women in this world can be justified, but it is through faith in Christ and through Him alone. Now what we're going to look at today is why so many miss this. The, the people of Israel miss this in great quantities. And, and actually I think Jesus also teaches that maybe even many this morning could find themselves missing the gospel of Jesus Christ, baptized, members of churches, but your heart's not changed. You're not moved by the gospel. It's great. It's good information. And uh, Paul pounds home on this over and over and over again that those who have put their faith in Christ are not only justified by faith, but you live by faith. You're living by faith. You're not living by the books, not by the numbers, not by the works, not by anything that you do, but you begin to actually live as though Christ is raised from the dead and you see God do amazing things. had a wonderful opportunity to pray with a gentleman this week uh, who was up against it, needed the Red Sea to divide. We prayed together. Something someone's been working on for a long time, we prayed. And, uh, and God divided the Red Sea and the realities of Christ's resurrection is there for him. So let's let's look at our text today and see what happened to Israel. And what happens to so many when Jesus says, straight is the gate and narrows the way, and fear there be the fall. Find it. Many are called, but few are chosen. This theme of remnant. And yet it's all of God's grace. This is God's word. Let's uh, read it together. It's in Romans 9. We begin by quotations uh, from... Hosea, as indeed he says in Hosea, those who are not my people, I'll call my people, and and her who is not beloved, I will call beloved. And in the very place where it was said to them, you are not my people, they will be called the sons of the living God. And as Isaiah cries out concerning Israel, though the number of the sons of Israel be as the sand of the sea, only a remnant of them will be saved. For the Lord would carry out his sentence upon the earth fully and without delay. And as Isaiah predicted, if the Lord of hosts had not left us offspring, we would have been like Sodom and become like Gomorrah. What shall we say then? That Gentiles who did not pursue righteousness have attained it? That is a righteousness that is by faith. But Israel, who pursued a law that would lead to righteousness, did not succeed in reaching that law. Why? Because they did not pursue it by faith. But as it were, based on works. Uh, They have stumbled over the stumbling stone, as it is written... Behold, I'm laying in Zion a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. And whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. 
Brothers, my heart's desire and prayer to God for them is that they may be saved. For I bear them witness that they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. For being ignorant of the righteousness of God and seeking to establish their own, they did not submit to God's righteousness. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. This is God's word. Let's pray together. Father, we pray this morning for the work of your spirit. I pray that every man, woman, and child here would come to understand the beloved gospel that's uh, found in Jesus and is only for those who cast themselves completely holy, broken upon the person and work of Christ. So, Lord, we pray that you would convert men and women this morning, maybe those who are members of the church, or, Father, those who are here today, today who are seeking, who have never been baptized, who are wondering what their condition is, Lord, would you make the gospel clear to them today that they might know the life that is in Jesus. And uh, we ask these things in your name and for your sake. Amen. Sir, you've heard the saying uh, that there are people who climb the ladder of success only to discover they leaned it up against the wrong wall. By truth to that. Uh, my father was a great man. Loved my father. He loved me. And, uh, but my father was a man of this world, as it were. He, he was a very successful man. Uh, successful in the insurance business. He worked hard. He provided for his six boys. He loved his wife. And... But right before he died, a couple of, couple of months before he died, maybe six weeks, I went to see him for one of the last times. And he told me, it dawned on him that, uh, that I, I have my ladder on the wrong wall. Everything that I've sought, everything that I've gone after is passing away and I'm facing reality. And so many of the things, if I could go back and do my life over, I would do it again. Maybe you're like that. I mean, think about just... Simply the ladder of success. I mean, you're, you're earning degrees. Uh, you, you're earning papers. You're earning money. You're earning a recognition. You want to be somebody in Athens or whatever it may be, and you're climbing that ladder. But what does it really bring to you? What have your successes brought? Have they really fulfilled you? Have they really meant a great deal to you in the long run? What I want us to look at this morning is that what is done in that sense of success can also be done with the gospel. It's what I call the right ladder in the wrong wall. The right ladder is the ladder of God's revelation of who He is, who we are, fall, redemption, resurrection, and a world to come that will be from everlasting to everlasting, and everybody is headed either for that world or everlasting Damnation. I, it can't be any more clear than that, any more blunt than that. But what we can do left to ourselves is take that ladder of God's revelation left in our own hands and we stick it against the wall of works and self-righteousness. And God is the one who takes His word, His revelation, and He sticks it upon the law the wall of mercy and grace that is found in Jesus Christ. 
Let me tell you how we do this. Proverbs is a great book. You ever read Proverbs? I'll read two or three chapters and you'll want to crawl up underneath the table. But I believe we should live by the Proverbs. Don't y'all think we should do that? You know, if you ladies really want to know how to be a godly woman, Proverbs 31, that's beautiful. You guys want to marry the right girl, go read Proverbs 31. But all the, the, all the Proverbs are wonderful Proverbs, but the fact of the matter is we don't live up to them. And any woman who understands anything about sinful nature would go, well, that's a great ideal that's there. But you see, Proverbs 31 is ultimately about Jesus. He is the Proverbs. And he, on our behalf, has came and he lived these Proverbs that we don't live. And he has substituted for us. Now let me tell you, here's the wonderful thing, the power of the gospel. The power of the gospel that Paul has been saying is unlike any other religion, every religion is all about performance. We've talked about this over and over and over again. This whole life is about resumes, isn't it? We have a lot of doctors in here. And do- people with doctorates, getting doctorates, accomplished people. And what those resumes do is they open doors for you. If you own a business, the first thing you're going to do is look at a resume. John Larson came here. We looked at a resume. He said, well, he's got a seminary degree. And then he knows Rob Edwards. He's a good friend of ours and so on and so forth. But we're looking at his resume and that opened the door. Well, let me tell you what. There is no resume that will open the door for you to enter in the presence of God. There's nothing you can do. There's, there, there's no performance that you can perform to enter into his presence. And so the power of the gospel is... Let me tell you who it's for this morning. It is for you sinners. It is not for anybody here who's wanting to meet God halfway. We said last week, through the mercy of God, that salvation and mercy and grace is monergistic. It's one-handed, not two-handed. God must have mercy. But let me tell you, He has mercy on He has mercy on those who are sinners. Those who say, Lord, I have nothing to bring. Now, if you're coming in here today and you're not a Christian and you think, well, I've really screwed my life up. I've, really, I've messed my life up so bad. I've wounded people. I've hurt people. I've had an abortion. I've been part of an abortion. Or whatever it is, let me tell you this. Christ is for you. He, I'm t- he's, not, he's not for us who come every Sunday with no intent to submit to the righteousness of God that's in Christ. Because if you do, it's life transforming. It is. It's not antinomian to say, oh, well, it's free grace. So that's what Paul's been talking about. And so throughout Romans, he's doing this. We come to Romans 8 last week, a couple of weeks ago, remember? And Paul's conclusion about the gospel is, if you are in Christ and he is your hope, nothing will separate you from the love of Christ. Nothing. Not even your unbelief. Not your sin. Nothing. But then the question arises to put us in the context of what we're going to look at in the time that we have together is, well, okay, well, what about the Jews? What about God's people? It's a legitimate question. And it's a question for two reasons. One is, well, is God able? I mean, is God able to save people? Was He able to save Israel? Because the majority of them didn't believe. 
And then not only that, is God faithful to his, I mean, does God have character? And Paul's answer to that is in Romans chapter 6, 9, 6. Remember we looked at that? You've got, you got to see this in context now. He says, no, 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 no. Not all of Israel was Israel. Not those who are circumcised of the heart, I mean, the flesh, he says in Romans 2, but the, those who've been circumcised of heart by the Holy Spirit. And so he goes on to say that we've been looking at, but you see, God's always had an elect. Let me say that again. God has always had an elect. God is able to save. It's not two-handed. It is one-handed. And God is saving a remnant by sheer grace. And then he tells us why in verse 16. In verse 14 he says, What shall we say then? Uh, is, is, Is God unjust? No, not at all. For he says to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. Notice what he says in verse 16. Now listen to this. It does not therefore depend on human will or desire or effort, but on God's mercy. It's through faith in Christ. It is through faith in what he has done and what he has accomplished. This morning our text is now going to talk about human responsibility. And we talked about God's sovereignty. Now, can we all agree that God's not God if he's not absolutely sovereign? I mean, why even come here? I would be selling insurance for Chip Milner. No, I would own the company, Chip. <laughs> why, would, why be a preacher for crying out loud? God was absolutely sovereign over the night you were conceived whether you'd be male or female, God was sovereign over the family you were born into. God was sovereign over every single thing in your life. And so God, God is sovereign. But at the same time, we remember we talked about an antinomy last week. You, you got the truth of God's sovereignty, but we're not robots because there's human responsibility. And you're responsible. And, if you, and some of you, you're hyper-Calvinist. You say, well, I, get a, I guess if God kind of zaps me, I'll, I'll start reading my Bible. I'll start sharing my faith when God gets serious with me. Oh, my friend. That is a sign of God removing himself from you. God pursues those who pursue him. But let me tell you, left to yourself, we will see what happens. And what happens? Uh, left to themselves, uh, we, we, we miss it. We take the ladder of God's revelation of who he is, and we stick it against the wall of works and self-righteousness. That is what he says as he quotes uh, these verses. He says, If Israel had been left to themselves and God had not preserved a remnant, then they would have become like Sodom and Gomorrah. You, you see, you understand what he's saying? Okay, if God doesn't take the ladder back out of our hands, if God is not at work saving a remnant, every time we will put our ladder against the, 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 uh, the, the wall of works and self-righteousness and the gospel would be completely espunged from this world. But you see, 
We are responsible. And what are we responsible to do? We are responsible to believe the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now here's, here's basically what I want to say this morning. I only have two points, really two questions. And here's what I want us to look at this morning. We can think that we're dead right and be dead wrong. That's it. You think you can be dead right and you're dead wrong. How about this? Is it possible that you could think you're a Christian and be deceived? You think you're right. I'm good. I believe all these right things. But do you, you understand? When it gets right down to it, if God lets you be deceived, then you're getting what you deserve. But you're not that interested in God. But you see, God's mercy that comes, if you cast yourself upon his mercy, then there's this thing that begins to happen because he's already called you to himself. I I don't know how else to explain this. But friends, it's important to understand what you believe, whether you're sincere or not. Because if you go to a doctor, you're not going to go to a doctor who says, you know, I sincerely think this is the problem, and I sincerely believe that I can operate on you, and probably be successful. No, you're going to go to the doctor and go, I know exactly what's wrong with you because I understand it all and I know exactly how to operate on you. Which one are you going to go to? And so it's very important that we're precise and you need to be precise when it comes to understanding the gospel so that you're not deceived. And listen, I'm telling you, I've got to say this. right now, this moment, you want to know Jesus Christ, whosoever will may come. You say, you're right. I don't even need to hear any more of the sermon. I've been so deceived. My heart's so hardened. God, would you have mercy upon me, a sinner? And I'll tell you, be saved. You know why? Because God is revealing that to you. You don't go, well, one of these days when I decide I'll come around, I'll come around. No, if you don't want to spend time with God, if you don't want to pray, if you don't want to be with other people who are Christians, if you don't want to do the work of the kingdom, then why in the world would you think you're a believer? Why would you think that? Because you see, there's massive amounts of people, but a remnant is saved. And so here's the, the, the two things that, that Paul raises The questions that are here, and the first is this. Paul explains why they missed the gospel. That's the first thing. And then he spells out, again, one more time, in plain language, what the gospel is. First off, Paul explains why they missed the gospel revealed in the Old Testament. Notice what he says in verse 30. Look at your bulletin and and read the word of God as Paul explains why so many Jews, not all Jews, but why so many of the Jewish people miss the gospel. What shall we say? That the Gentiles who did not pursue righteousness have obtained it. A righteousness is by faith, but the people of Israel who pursued the law as a way of righteousness have not attained their goal. Why not? Because they pursued it not by faith, but as it were by what? What does it say, that last word say? Works. They didn't pursue the gospel revealed in the Old Testament by faith. They took the ladder of God's revelation pointing to Christ and they took it in their own hands and they stuck it against the wall of works righteousness. Now 
Now, why is this so? Well, I think what happens to covenant people is what happened to the Jews. We're sons of Abraham. We've been circumcised. Uh, We do Passover. Now, God, what else is it we're supposed to do? And so they, they look at all the forms and all the outward things and they begin to think those things in of themselves are God's favor rather than what those things point to. Now, if you read Deuteronomy chapter 9, and I've quoted it so many times, Moses is getting, uh, is getting ready to tell the children of Israel, you're going to go in, you're going to take this land over here, the promised land. But he tells them in Deuteronomy 9, for sake of time I won't read it, go read Deuteronomy 9. And he says, I am not sending you in there and blessing you because you're a wonderful people, but because I am going to bring judgment against those people. And you will be the vehicle, though you are a stiff-necked and rebellious people. Again, look. You say, well, then who are the remnant in Israel? Well, we've got people like King David, right? Would y'all say he's the remnant? He understood the law of God. But how did David really begin to understand the gospel of faith in Christ? Through his failure. Here's what religious people are like here at Redeemer today. You've never had an affair. You you, you would never even think about doing that. And uh, you're a faithful husband. You're a faithful wife. You provide for your family. And I could put some other things that are out there. Uh, You have have, uh, devotion with your family. And all those things are good things. But what about the marriage where there is faithfulness in the marriage, uh, but there's no love? It's okay, well, and you're you're not being faithful because you love God or even love that person. You're being faithful because you have to be. You think that's love? And, and, And so, but here David, wonderful guy, until... 1 Samuel, I mean 2 Samuel chapter 10, and then he screws it up. And David sins greatly, and he has an affair, and he has a man killed. And, and uh, he's ruined his life, and not only that, he hardens his heart. And, uh, but you see, God chose David, so what did God do? He sent Nathan the prophet. And he puts his finger on David. God puts his finger on David and immediately David is broken. And he writes Psalm 51. And he understands God in a way that he had never understood him before, the God of grace. Now let me ask you this. Is God okay with uh, passing by self-righteous people who never have had an affair? And not only save an adulterer, but a serial adulterer. You see, this is the scandal. Those who did not seek, obtain. And those who sought, don't obtain. And he tells them why they don't obtain. He says, because you took the ladder of my revelation and took it off 
the wall of grace and mercy to all who are sinners this morning, and you've put it on this wall of works righteousness. And I'm going to tell you that's every religion in this world, and it is most of Christendom. It is two-handed grace in Christianity. That God does this, but you must do this. And this is why he quotes Isaiah. He quotes Isaiah 14. He quotes Isaiah 8. And then he quotes Isaiah 38. And they're all about the stone that they missed. And those who miss a stone are those who are looking up because the stone is the cornerstone. I'm fine, I'm good. But those who stumble upon that stone are those who can't even lift their, their heads up because of their own sin. And they find that rock who is Christ. Is that good news to you who are sinners? It's not for the self-righteous. It's for sinners. Psalm 40 speaks of this stone when he says, God has taken me out of a muck and miry and slimy pit. That's you. And he has set my feet upon a steadfast rock. That is Christ. And the sign of that is he says, and he has put a new song in my heart. Are you singing? You know the lyrics of the gospel, but are, do you know the music? Have you heard the music? Only sinners. Only sinners. The self-righteous will not obtain it. And the scandal is the Gentiles who would not believe, who didn't even care, God reaches down and he converts. So that's, that's, that's why Paul explains why they missed it. Does that make sense? Because we, don't we, listen, think about it as a Christian for a moment. And I've been a Christian a long time. If you're left to yourself, do you not start taking that ladder and start putting it on that wall? Well, you know, I spent some time, I read my Bible this year. I, I tithe. Uh, I was kind of nice to my wife this week. So I can't wait till next week. But what if God wants to bless you and the scandal is he's going to bless you next week though you really screwed it up last week. Because you see, Christ has done the work. And you're united to him in all his righteousness. He's at the top of the ladder on the wall of grace and he's at the bottom of the ladder. And not only is he calling you up to himself in union with him, but he's on the bottom of the ladder pushing you up that ladder. This other ladder here, it has weights on it. It's called the law. And self-righteousness. And God knows that churches are never fellowshiped around that. Now, one last thing. He spells out the gospel. Notice what he says. Here in uh, verse 2 of chapter 2. I mean chapter 10. For I can testify about them that they are zealous for God the Jews, but zeal is not, their zeal is not based on knowledge since they did not know the righteousness of God and sought to establish their own. They did not submit to God's righteousness. Now listen, Christ is the culmination of the law 
so that they, there may be righteousness for everyone who believes. A couple things he says about this. Number one, it's not about zeal. Didn't he say that? They were zealous. And by the way, zeal's not a bad thing. I have a, uh, one of my nephews I was talking to several years ago. Uh, he didn't grow up in a Christian family as such. And, and, um, and I was kind of asking him at Christmas dinner what he believed. And he said, well, you know, I guess I'm an agnostic. And, uh, and of course, I'm close to him. And, and so I said, well, you know, that is a lazy man's religion. Like if you're an agnostic, you say, well, I don't really, I, I don't know, maybe so, maybe not. At least I'm giving God some credit. He might be there. And you go, what time is the ball game? No sacrifice, no fasting. Hindus, Muslims. Uh, a lot of people that are uh, Christian conservatives that don't know Jesus. Man, they'll get up in the morning and they'll fast. And I know some guys have fasted 30 days. And, it, and I don't say that's good or bad. But I'm telling you, that, that has nothing to do with moving God. In and of itself. And, uh, and I said, that's a lazy man's religion. He just kind of laughed. He said, I guess it is, isn't it? But you see, I think Paul understood zeal when he, in, in Philippians, when he, when he says this in Philippians chapter 2. I mean, chapter 3. He says that if someone thinks that they have reason to put confidence in the flesh, I have more circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, in regard to the law, a Pharisee, as for zeal, persecuting the church, as for righteousness, based on the law, faultless. Man, he had zeal. And he's basically saying, hey, look, I had zeal. Now, I can tell you that zeal and ignorance really burned some people up because uh, when I first became a Christian, I had to undo a lot of stuff I did out of zeal. <laughs> took me about 15 years for some of my brothers. They like me now. <laughs> but, I, I mean, I was zealous. But you know what? It became about my zeal for Christ. And, friends, I'll tell you, it is about God's zeal for you. God is zealous for sinners. Jesus is so zealous that he understood you cannot get up that wall. And so he comes down. And the ladder is a wonderful ladder, uh, but somebody had to come and activate it. And he did through his blood, shed on the cross for sinners. So certainly not zeal. But notice what he says, and I'm almost through. It's about God's righteousness, not ours. Can I read that again to you, what he says? Their problem was, and maybe your problem today, if you're trusting in your own works, for being ignorant of the righteousness of God and seeking to establish their own, they did not submit to the righteousness of God. Now, I've got to tell you, there's two kinds of righteousness. And you've got to get this right, and they'll come to the Lord's table. There is a righteousness that is kind of an ethical righteousness. That we do the right things. That we're good parents, that we're good people. That we don't steal. That, uh, you know, you, you don't fill in the blank. Whatever you like to find your righteousness in. 
James Boy said this, that human righteousness is merely a social quality achieved by the avoidance of certain gross forms of depravity and the, and the contrary accumulation of outwardly good deeds. That's that ethical righteousness. You know, there are things we don't do. That's terrible to look at. I, don't look at pornography. Don't do this. Don't do that. And, and, and it, yeah, I mean, we shouldn't. But then... On the other side, there are the accumulations of things that we do that are good. But friends, there are such things as good people. But in the eyes of God, shall you stand before Almighty God and that is your righteousness? Well, the righteousness that Paul speaks of here is a different kind of righteousness. He's speaking of a legal righteousness. And he uses that word 33 times in the book of Romans, and he uses it eight times in these five or six verses I've read. So it's very important. And what is that righteousness? That righteousness is something that you do not have. It is a righteousness that comes from God. You must be justified. If you want to stand before God in your own, whatever it is you do, and think you're doing accumulating this all going to be smoke and mirrors. And Paul tells us why in verse 4, and then we close. He says, For Christ is the culmination of the law, so that there may be righteousness for everyone who believes. He's saying that law doesn't even exist. That it has ended in Christ. The law is still there, the law is still good, but the law is always intended to point you to Christ. He has finished the work. It's interesting here that the word end in the Greek, telos, can mean one of two things. It can mean termination, like when will this sermon end? That's like end. So everything ends in Christ. But it's also the ultimate goal of the law was so that we might know life in Christ, not the law. So I ask you this morning, are you a sinner? Are you a sinner? If you're not a sinner, then you'll you'll never receive God's mercy. And one of the worst things you could be is a good old southern boy. I'm a good, he's a good man, good Christian man. Don't ever call your pastor that. Your pastor is a sinner saved by grace. And I stand here as a messenger of the gospel. You know, it's wonderful. I talked to somebody here recently. It's awesome. Man, that, that being a good boy, it kind of ended when God allowed the law and their own failure to make them see the sweetness of Jesus Christ. And you know what? I smell the gospel on them. Do you smell of the gospel of mercy and grace? If not, I encourage you, come to Jesus this morning and be saved. Let go of your dastardly good deeds and rest in Christ. Amen? Let's pray together. Father, uh, I I bet there are those who are here this morning who who kind of want to believe, but their heart's hardening even harder. Almighty God, would you have mercy upon their soul this morning? Would you, would you cause them to fear you? For those who think they can put this off for a little while longer, Lord, today is the day of salvation.
where they repent of their sins and above all the sins of self-righteousness and flee to Christ and find mercy in Him and be a people who smell of mercy, the humility, and the fruit of the Holy Spirit. And Father, for those who are here today and they're so broken, they've messed up their lives. Maybe they did this week. Maybe, maybe you brought them here today because they thought that there was no hope. So Lord, if they see hope in Jesus this morning, would they cast themselves upon you? And Father, for all of us, might we understand that it's only by your mercy, only by your mercy, that we're saved. So God, would you have mercy on every single soul in this room? And ask it in your name. Amen.